All right, let's take our Bibles once again and open to the book of Revelation chapter 21. We are fast approaching the end of this book, uh, and I, I actually think that we really are going to approach the end of this, this book. I do still hope that the Lord comes before we're able to finish. I, I, I'm all for Him coming before this service is finished. Amen. Yeah. And... Uh, Boy, those of you that have uh, been around for a long time, thanks for all the hard work you put into the study of the book of Revelation. For those of you that are just getting acquainted with it, let, let me just tell you where we are in Revelation 21. The rapture has already taken place by the time we get to Revelation 21. That's in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. That's the event that we're waiting for right now is the church of Jesus Christ. And by that, I'm talking about people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is their only hope for salvation. What we're expecting, what we're anticipating, is the, the, the rapture of the church where we are going to bodily be removed off of the face of this planet. That will then usher in a period of seven years of tribulation that Jesus was very graphic in describing to us. There's never been a time like it before it. There'll never be a time like it after it. And the bulk of the book of Revelation is all about that seven-year period. By the time we come to Revelation 21... The rapture is finished. The seven years of tribulation have been finished. The tribulation will end with the second coming of Christ. That's Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. That will usher in the millennial reign of Christ, where from His throne in Jerusalem, He will rule and reign over this entire planet for a period of thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, Revelation 20 says that Satan is going to be loosed for a very short period of time. He's going to raise his ugly head one more time. He's going to lead a rebellion of people, even in the millennial reign, at the very conclusion of that. And it's going to take probably about, I, I, my guess would be seven seconds for it all to have begun and ended because the Lord is going to just absolutely squash him. And I can't wait to see that, man. And cast him into the lake of fire, which the Bible says is the second death. And when we come to Revelation 21 now, now... The millennium is over, and now we are in eternity. Time is, is no more. And John sees a new heaven, he says, and a new earth, because the old one is, is fled away at the awesomeness of God that we saw in chapter 20. But he says, now, now listen, and, and let's just all pull it in real close here now so that we understand where we're heading this morning and get back in the flow of where we were last week. Now, now, now listen real carefully. When John sees this new heaven and the new earth, he also sees something else. He sees the new, the new Jerusalem. Okay? And he says that when he sees the new Jerusalem, he said that he saw it descending out of heaven as a bride prepared and adorned for her husband. This city is the bride, he says in chapter 21 and verse 9, it's the bride, the Lamb's wife. And it's descending out of heaven, adorned marvelously. Okay, now the reason that's so significant is that all of the entire New Testament has been teaching us that not the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem isn't the bride, the Lamb's wife. We who comprise the church of Jesus Christ we're the bride, the Lamb's wife. Revelation 19.7 says that what we've been doing is we've been preparing ourselves to be the bride. We've been preparing, you remember as we studied this? We're preparing, preparing our wedding garments 
So that when we come before Him, we come before Him as 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 says, as a chaste virgin. We prepared ourselves with, with clothes of righteousness as the bride, the Lamb's wife, and yet John sees the new Jerusalem and he calls it the bride, the Lamb's wife. And what we've seen here is in John chapter 14, Jesus is spending an incredible moment with his disciples. He's in the midst of what John chapter 13 and verse 1 said, he's loving them. And he's spelling out, here's what's going to take place in the future. And you know what he does? He tells you about this very thing that John saw in Revelation chapter 21. Jesus said, now, now listen, fellas, all of us. He says, what I'm doing is I'm going to leave here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my father's, I'm going to go to my father's house and I am going to prepare a place for you. The place that he goes to prepare, according to Revelation 21, is a place that is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the connection that we have seen, and it is just an incredible, incredible connection that you, you've got to see in order to understand the practical ramifications of what the Spirit of God, I believe, put Revelation 21 and 22 into the canon of Scripture. There's something He's wanting us to see about this bride, the Lamb's wife, the New Jerusalem, and how it's connected to the bride, the Lamb's wife, the church. As you begin to go through the description of what John saw, and that's what he gives us in Revelation 21, verse 9, all the way down to chapter 22 and verse 5. He is describing for us this city, this holy city, he says, this great city, he says, the new Jerusalem, adorned as a bride, the Lamb's wife. And this city that he's describing for us is every single thing to the absolute detail that God has called us to be as we prepare ourselves as the bride, the Lamb's wife. This is a picture of us. And so as we go through the description of it, we can understand what it is that right now in our lives, God is looking for us to do as we prepare ourselves as His bride. It's a very, very practical section of Scripture that it's easy to miss until you make that connection between the bride, the Lamb's wife, the New Jerusalem, the bride, the Lamb's wife, the church. Now just to get, you know, last week, you remember we... We read from chapter 21 and verse 9 all the way down to chapter 22 and verse 5. For time's sake this morning, we don't have time to do all of that. So let me just remind you of some things. We'll have to jet through this, but now work with me. This is more than just review. Uh, what I've done is I, if, if you would have had the time to take all of the notes last week, I kind of put in the things that maybe you should have gleaned. We'll go through this rather quickly. But what I want you to see now is the description of the New Jerusalem... And how that's likened to the description of what God has wanted us to be as His church. Now, as we start into this description in Revelation 21 and, and verse 11, what we find is John, first of all, in describing this new Jerusalem, talks about its glory and light. The glory and light of this new Jerusalem. Okay, now, now work with me, y'all. Look at your sheet. What he says here is that the new Jerusalem has the glory of God in it. That, that's verse 11. 
And we saw over in chapter 22 in verse 3, the reason that it, this new Jerusalem has the glory of God in it is because the throne of God and of the Lamb are in it. Okay, now make the connection. As the church of Jesus Christ, as believers, listen, we have the glory of God in us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. What it says is it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you understand? As a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the glory of God inside of you in the same way that the new Jerusalem has the glory of God in it. In the new Jerusalem, the glory of God shines forth with such brilliance that what it says in this passage is that there is going to be at that time no need of the sun or of the moon. And the point is, for us as the church, when Christ sits enthroned in our lives, what happened is, happens is His light shines through us to light the darkness of this world. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and verse 9 is all about. How that because we have the glory of God in us, we show forth His praises. And what those praises are is we're showing forth, listen, His marvelous light. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 talks about the fact that we shine as lights in the midst of this dark and perverse and crooked nation that, that we live in. Next, the New Jerusalem, he says in verse 11, shines as a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And we saw last week that the jasper stone in John's day is like unto a what? A, a diamond. And how is that? It has no light of its own, but it reflects the light of the Lamb, according to verse 23 of chapter 21. And once again, the connection to those of us that comprise the church of Jesus Christ. We have been called to reflect the light of the Lamb of God as a jasper stone. How is that? We don't have any light of our own. We're to shine and reflect His light in the midst of of this dark world. And then next, New Jerusalem is a place that verse 27 of Revelation 21 says that nothing that defiles may enter. And let that be a lesson to all of us as we prepare ourselves as the bride, the Lamb's wife, that we are to be people in which nothing that defiles may enter. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 talks about the fact that we have been called as the church of Jesus Christ to be without spot or blemish or any such thing. Listen, nothing should come into our lives as we're preparing ourselves to be the bride, the Lamb's wife. Nothing should come into our lives that should diminish the glory of God. Nothing should distort the light of God. The glory and light is what John begins to talk about. And, and then we began to talk about a, a second thing that, that John, in describing this new Jerusalem, highlights for us the walls and gates there's something significant about this place in its walls and gates now watch the watch the description now and watch how that fits into what god has called us to be as his children first of all the walls and gates according to verse 12 and verse 17 the walls of the new jerusalem he says are great and high they're great and high. If you do the math, and we did that last week in verse 17, these, these walls that he's describing would be anywhere from 264 to 300 feet. 
they're great and they're high. We saw that in the New Testament, walls speak of what? Hello? Walls speak of separation. And as believers, the walls that separate us from the world, in this picture that we see in the New Jerusalem, the walls that separate us from the world are to be great and high. Jesus prayed not that we would be taken out of the world, but that the world wouldn't get what? In us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 17, he says, listen, as my church, come out from among them and be ye, what? Separate, saith the Lord. What he's trying to get us to see is around this city, the new Jerusalem, there are walls that separate it. As we're awaiting the coming of our bridegroom, there should be walls of separation that are great and high that we have allowed the Lord Jesus Christ through His Word to build uh, around us. But we saw that there are 12 gates in these walls with the names of the 12 tribes in this new Jerusalem in verse 12. And this whole thing of gates, we talked last week about the fact that gates are how we make entrance into God's kingdom. And what God shows us is that salvation is of the Jews. And so here are these gates that have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. And he says that there are 12 foundations of the wall. And these foundations of the wall don't have the names of the 12 tribes. They have the names of the 12, what? The 12 apostles on them in the New Jerusalem. And as believers comprising the church of Jesus Christ, what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 is that we have been built upon the foundation of the who? Of the apostles. And again, what you're seeing here is everything that God is doing to prepare this place is a perfect replica of everything that we're to be doing in preparing ourselves. And then one last thing that we looked at last week is that the gates into the New Jerusalem he says in verse 21, are made of pearls. We won't take the time to go into this, but what a beautiful, beautiful picture that he lines out for us as our entrance into God's kingdom is like unto a pearl. And we saw that last week. Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. We are that pearl of great price. But there's a few things that we didn't get to, to look at. And let's just uh, talk about these walls and gates for just a a second this morning with some things that we didn't get to, to hit last time. Look, look with me, if you would, at, at chapter 21, verse 15. And John says, And he that talked with me, that's the, the angel that has been taking him up into this high mountain to show him all, all of these, these things about the new Jerusalem. And he says, And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And if you do the math, and we, we, I think we talked about this just briefly last week, what it works out is to be a, a city that is approximately 1,500 miles in, on each side. Now, you know, as you read the, the commentators on, on this, you know, most of the people see this and you know, try to envision this city that he's describing here, most people see it as a, as a cube. But you know what? If you go back in the Old Testament, there's a, just a little verse that's just tucked back there that talks about 
there is this, there's this sign, there's this monument that God has, has laid out that's on the borders of, of Egypt. You know what? There's on the borders of Egypt, the last of the, the seven wonder, the great wonders of the world. It's, it's called the Great Pyramid. We don't have time to get into a, a, a lot of this uh, right now. But boy, if you check out what that Great Pyramid is really all about and how the location of that and the size of that thing is exactly synchronized with the days of the calendar year and where it points into the, the 12 constellations that are out there in our galaxy. Most people believe that Job was actually the architect for that Great Pyramid. And God says, I'm laying that thing out there for some certain reason. And, and you know what? I, what I believe personally, you know what? I mean, you can see this thing is a cube. I, I understand where people get that. But what he talks about here is this city that lieth four square. I think what he's, I think what he's describing here is, is a pyramid. And a pyramid has how many sides? Four sides. And, and I, I think he's talking about a pyramid on top of another pyramid, one pointing up and one pointing down to where the bases are connected. And what he's talking about is the length and the breadth and the height of this thing are all equal. And, and what I think he's describing here is this diamond-shaped thing. It's like a jasper stone, if you will. This, this, these two pyramids on top of, uh, of each other that he sees descending down out of heaven and evidently with that new earth, it just the apex of that thing just rests probably right above where Jerusalem actually was with this radiance that is just absolutely incredible. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It would be like if you can envision up here right now the, um, a map of the United States of America. Basically, the way that if you do the math on the thing, the way that it would shake out is... The top dimension would be up here like at Buffalo, New York. Over on the west would be Denver, Colorado. Down to the south would be Miami, Florida. And over here would be Boston, Massachusetts. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And remember now, and it goes up. This is a massive, massive thing that, that he's describing here. Just a, a, an unbelievable sight, especially when, when you envision the fact that he says that it's like a, it's like a jasper stone. It's clear as crystal. It's, it's like a, a, a diamond. And verse 17 says that it has this incredible wall around it. We looked at that. And then look at verse 18. And you, you'll see in, in verses 18, 19, and 20. I won't take the time. We, we read that last week. But what, he, what he's describing here is the, the jewels that adorn... This, this incredible wall that are around this thing, and the stones that he mentions here are likened to those that would have been on the breastplate of the high priest of the Old Testament. And, and, and he's, he's saying here, listen, this thing, it was garnished with these, these stones. And again, we go back and we see through Lucifer that there was light that was passing through stones on the breastplate of that high priest in the Old Testament. On that breastplate were 12 stones in the New Jerusalem. 12 stones and light passing through those. I think the practical application for those of us right now is, you know what God has done in the church? 
He's placed us in the church as the bride. And what He's done is He's called us to be His body. He's the head, and we're to be His body. And what He has done is He's given to the church of Jesus Christ gifts. And here we come into this thing called the body of Christ, and we come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have all kinds of different personalities, and we have all kinds of specific spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And what He does in the body of Christ is He takes these different colored gifts, if you will, and He has them on His palate, and He takes the canvas of the church, and what He does is He begins to take the body of Christ and just take different colors so that He might cause us to portray the body of Christ to the world. And here in the New Jerusalem, I I think we're, we're seeing... What it is that, and how we're to function as the body of Christ as we all work together to be the body of Christ so that the, when the world looks at us, they're not going, what in the world is that? But they're able to see that Christ is our head and we all function together as the body of Christ. Okay, so we, we, we've, we've looked at the glory and the light of the New Jerusalem and how that aligns with the glory and light of the church. We, we've looked at the walls and the gates and we, we've seen how that aligns and likens to the church of Jesus Christ. And now, let's move into Roman numeral number three. The river and tree of the New Jerusalem. The river and the tree of the New Jerusalem. And we see this in chapter 22. Now, I do understand that there's some verses that we have not yet hit at the end of chapter 21. And we're going to come to those at the end. But now let me just tell you right from the get-go here. Those verses right there pack a major, major wallop. They are some incredibly, incredibly deep verses that I think that you, you, you need to understand this river and tree before we, before we get there. And, uh, and there's a lot of practical ramifications that we're going to get to uh, in this that I would rather spend the bulk of our time on, but we'll be coming back to that in Roman numeral four. But Roman numeral, Roman, hmm, yeah, easy for me to say, Roman numeral number three, the river and tree of the new Jerusalem. Look at chapter 22 and verse one. And he, that's that, again, that angel, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God, and of the Lamb. Okay, now, now let's get this, get this picture in our mind. Now work with me this morning, okay guys? Okay, the, the new Jerusalem that Jesus has gone to prepare for us, that is adorned as a bride in preparation for her husband, he, he says that this new Jerusalem, in verse 1, has a, a river that flows out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so, of course, he describes it as being pure, Look also in verse 1, he describes it as clear, as crystal. And notice how he identifies the water. He identifies it as the water of life. Okay, now what we've seen thus far is everything that he's describing about this new Jerusalem is likened to something that he's trying to get us to see about how we're to prepare ourselves as the bride, the lamb's wife. And so I'm asking you to think with me right now. What is he saying about how we're to prepare ourselves as he begins to talk about this thing of the river 
that flows out of it. Let's go back to John chapter 4 and let's see if we can't connect what it is that he's trying to get us to see here. John chapter 4, and you, if you've been around the, the block at all in the Bible, know that John chapter 4 is where Jesus is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman at a well. John chapter 4, and, and let's, let's pick up in verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. His disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It would be highly unlikely that a man would talk to a woman in that culture, much less a Jew talking to a Samaritan. And she's not understanding what's really happening with all of that. Uh, Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. He says, You know what you'd do? Thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And she's not connecting it right now. All she can understand is what's in the physical realm. And he's not talking about something physical here. He's talking about something spiritual. Drop down to verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But now, now listen, in light of what we've just read over there in Revelation 22 and verse 1. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be, where? Maybe in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life And here he's talking about a a river of life that flows from within a person. And look at what he says over in John chapter 7, talking about this this same subject. Okay, now now make sure you're you're, you're connecting what he's saying. He's, He's saying, there's a river of water. It's a well. It springs up into everlasting life. It's exactly what we're just seeing in the New Jerusalem. Clear as crystal, pure water of life. And he says in John chapter 7, in verse 37, might help if I get in chapter 7. He says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Man, I wonder what he means. Well, he tells you in the very next verse. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Okay, now, now listen. If you're in this room this morning, you've been born again by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit. Listen, what he is letting you know in this, this verse is this water of life is in you. And Jesus says that this water of life that came into you because the Spirit of the living God came into you, what he says is this is living water. And it springs up inside of you and it flows out of you. And he identifies that water specifically 
as the Holy Spirit. Now, with what he, he's saying here, guys, this is, this is a monumental thing. If you and I know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, there is a, a river that flows on the inside of us. And it flows out of us to people who are thirsty. Now I'm asking you, and I, I'm, 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 this, is, this is tough, where is that water that Jesus said flows out of everybody that believes on Him? Living water that springs forth from the inside of us and out of us. You know what? If, if this is what is true of believers, it makes me really, really nervous. And I'm serious as a heart attack. Because most of the people that profess to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior do not manifest this flow of water that Jesus was talking about. Because that flow of water, if it's the Holy Spirit of God that's flowing out of us, you know what it is? It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It is the fruit of the Spirit that ought to be flowing out of us. And I'm asking you, where are the believers in Jesus Christ who are preparing themselves as a bride adorned for her husband? Where are those believers that on a consistent basis have that water that flows out of them, that manifests on a daily basis the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you see, there, there, one of two things is, is true. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, and there is not this flow, then evidently something's clogging it, or we don't have the Spirit of God at all. And though we profess that we know Christ, we don't actually possess the salvation that comes in Christ. Now, now listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the Spirit of God. Okay, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. Okay, so all of us that actually genuinely know Jesus Christ, we've got the Spirit of God in us, but you know what? It's hard to find believers who manifest the fruit of that Spirit flowing forth out of us. And, and so we've got to ask ourselves, what is it that's clogging this flow of water that is supposed to proceed out of us? And, and I want to just uh, highlight maybe just a, a couple of things for you that may be clogging the, the flow of this living water that's supposed to be coming out of us. Now, number one, what will clog the flow? You, you just, you've got this river going on. It's supposed to be flowing but there's this log jam that's happened. There's something blocking the, the flow of this thing. Number one, what will block that flow is not being surrendered to Christ's lordship. Not being surrendered to Christ's lordship. Listen now. Do you remember what it said in, in Revelation 22 and verse 1 about this river? It proceeds forth out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And you see, if the throne of God and of the Lamb is not established in your heart. There is going to be a log jam 
It's going to block the flow of that water. I'm asking you this morning. Is there any area of your life that you have not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You've got this little area or these few little areas over here that, that you're going to hold on to and you're not going to surrender to Him. Oh, I'm dealing with Him, but I'm, 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 I'm holding on to Him. You know what? It's a log jam. And the flow of the living water that is supposed to be flowing out of us is clogged because we're not surrendered to Christ's Lordship. A second thing that will cause a log jam clog the flow of that living water out of us is self see the bible commands us that we're to be filled with the spirit but the same bible also tells us and commands us that we are to deny self and the fact is i cannot be filled with the spirit if i in any way shape or form or in any part am filled with self if i give you a, a, a some kind of a container and, and, and I, it's half filled with water, and I say to you, hey, hey listen, would you, would you fill this with, with Coke for me? Okay, if you're going to do what I asked you to do, what's the first thing that you have to do? You've got to empty out what's in it so it can be filled with the Coke that I asked you to put in it. And, and now listen, I, I got saved on September 24th, 1972, and I can just tell you, in, it's been my testimony, that every single day since then, every morning when I wake up, I wake up at least half filled with self. And the first thing that we've all got to do on a daily basis is come surrendering every aspect of our life to the Lordship of Christ so that He might sit enthroned inside of us. And we must come and empty out self so that we might be filled with the Spirit of God, so that there can be the flow of this water to a thirsty, needy people that is all around us every single day. And you know how you'll be able to recognize that flow of that living water? It's not tough. The flow of the living water, guys, is very simply. We manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, listen, is love. I've got to tell you, man. And I don't, I don't believe I'm a negative person. But I must tell you, some of the most unloving people that I've ever met in my life are people who profess that they've got the living water of the Spirit of God in them. I, listen, if you want to know, if you're where you need to be as you're preparing yourself for the, the wedding, as the bride, the Lamb's wife. The believers around you in this lost world ought to look at you and what ought to be preeminent over everything else is the love that flows out of you. It comes part and parcel with the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. And joy. You, you know what? Some of the most bummed people I've ever met are people who profess to know Jesus Christ when they've got the river of living water springing forth inside of them. I'm telling you, there's a log jam somewhere. Because you can't be that bummed out. And have the flow of the water because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Some of the most hypered out people 
than I've ever met in my life are people who profess to know Jesus Christ when the fruit of the Spirit is peace. We can go right on down the line, can't we? Some of the most impatient people have the shortest fuse when the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Those of us that have got the river of living water inside of us ought to be some of the most patient, gracious people that have ever hit this globe. He, he, next, he, he talks about gentleness. Just not always rattling everybody's cage, but just, you know what, being able to speak the truth, speaking the truth and love. Wow, I'm tearing up the place. <laughs> we, we go right on through the line. Meekness. Not weakness, but strength under the control of the Spirit. And temperance. People that have the appetites of the body under the control of the Spirit. That's what it is. To have the river of water of life springing up inside of you and flowing out of you. And it happens in people who have enthroned God the Father and the Lamb on their hearts and have denied self and emptied themselves of themselves so that the water can flow. And then there's one other major log jam that we find in the Scripture in its bitterness. Oh, I, 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 there, there's so many awesome things that we've got to get to, but listen, this is the practical part of this, guys. Bitterness is going to ruin some of y'all if you don't let the Spirit of God do something on the inside of you to get that root out. It's going to ruin you. Would you please listen to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. He says, looking diligently... Okay, be diligent on this. Lest any man fall of the grace of God. Listen, people are going to do you wrong. People are sometimes just like me. Stupid, ignorant, village idiots. We do bad things. We say bad things. Okay, now be real diligent here. Lest when God gives you grace to be able to handle what it is that you're dealing with with that person, that's what it is to fail of the grace of God. He says, lest any root of bitterness, listen to the words now, springing up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And rather than the rivers of water springing up inside of us, what springs up is a root of bitterness. And what it does is it clogs the flow of that living water in us. And it's a very defiling thing. Listen, you remember what we're seeing about the New Jerusalem? Nothing that defiles can come into it. And God is saying, don't let anything in you that is going to defile you in that bitterness. You've got to be careful. Give all diligence to this. Don't fail of the grace of God. Don't let that root of bitterness come in there because it's going to defile you. And not just you. It's going to defile many. It'll defile your family. It'll defile this church. In the book of Exodus, chapter 15, Moses is seeking to lead God's people 
through the wilderness. And it says in verse 22 of, verse, uh, of chapter 15, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they, they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay, three days without any water. You're thirsty camper in the desert. And when they came to Marah, there was water there. But they could not drink of the waters of Marah, or they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, which means bitterness. That bitterness defiles the water of life. It clogs it, and what does get through? A thirsty generation of people around us cannot drink of that water. You know what? We have nothing to say to them. Because we're better. And he says, oh man, be so diligent on this thing. Don't let this happen to you. And so Jesus says, I'm, in this city that I'm preparing, there is a, a river of water of life that proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it's pure. It's crystal clear. God says to those of us in the church, I put my spirit inside of you and he is to flow like living waters out of you. Don't let anything defile it. Keep that water pure. Keep it crystal clear. Submit to his lordship. Empty yourself of self. And don't let a root of bitterness come in because many will be defiled by it. Now let's, let's go back to Revelation 22. Not only did the New Jerusalem have a river of water of life, but in verse 2 of Revelation 22, it has the tree of life. Okay, The river of water of life, and now he's going to talk about the tree of life. Look at verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, that, that's talking about New Jerusalem, these streets of gold. And on either side of the river, that's the river we just talked about, he says, on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, now, now put it together. Here in the New Jerusalem is a tree, and the tree is called the tree of life. Now, what, what's interesting about this, this tree is we've seen this tree somewhere before, haven't we? But we haven't seen it for a long, long time. Last time we actually saw this tree of life that he's talking about here, we saw it in Genesis chapter 3. And you know what you begin to, to find when you just start connecting these trees? What, what you find is that all of human history actually revolves around three trees. The first tree... We find in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God created this, this man and placed him in this garden, wanted to have a love relationship with him, and he gave him a choice. And he says, now listen, of every tree thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay? So one tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was another tree in that garden, and it was called the tree 
of life, the same tree that Revelation 22 in verse 2 is, is talking about. And you see, when you begin to step into the pages of Genesis, what you begin to see is that there were actually two trees in that garden. Okay? God says, I don't want you to eat of this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you'll die spiritually. And you'll thrust the whole human race into sin. They'll all be born into this world spiritually dead. But there was another tree that God wanted him to eat of in that garden. It was a tree of life. But before he could eat of the tree of life, you know what he did, right? He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and was thrust into sin. And then you come to Genesis chapter 3. And, and what he begins to talk about in, in Genesis chapter 3, do, do, we, do we have Genesis 3? This is it? It just says two? Okay. This is Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. And if you'll just look at it, what God does is because man had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God puts him out of the garden and he puts flaming swords around the tree of life so that he won't eat of that tree. You know why? Because God was ticked off because he ate of that other tree and didn't want him to have the tree of life. No. He didn't want him to eat of that tree of life because after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, had he taken of the tree of life, he would have been forever in his sin with no way of getting out. So two trees in that garden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, and then there's a, a third tree that's identified for us in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 13. And it's the tree of Calvary. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a... What? And, and do understand that God chooses His words very, very carefully. Jesus Christ hung on a tree... Because we ate of the wrong one in Adam. And we were thrust into sin. And to take the curse of sin upon Himself, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was hung upon a tree to take the curse of sin from us. And listen, right now in this light, the cross of Christ is the tree of life. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, listen to it. Who His own self, that is Christ, bear our sins in His own body... Where? On the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, watch this, by whose stripes ye were healed. And when we came to Christ through what He did on the cross, did He heal us of our, our, our diseases? No, our souls were sin sick with no way of healing. And what He did through His death, burial, and resurrection on that cross is He took upon Himself our sins, so that we might find in Him the tree of life. But here's what I'm wanting you to see now. In that new Jerusalem, there's the river of life, and there's the tree of life. And as believers in Jesus Christ, what God is saying to us is, listen, as you prepare yourself like that city, make sure that the river of life is flowing from you in the midst of a thirsty generation of people that through what they see in your life as you manifest the fruit of the Spirit of God to them 
It arrests their attention so that you might be able to offer to them the tree of life, the tree upon which Jesus Christ died, so that you might have the opportunity of giving those people the gospel so that the nations, he says, might find healing or they might find salvation. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus comes along. What does he say to those of us the church? Go ye and teach all what? Nations. Teaches, make disciples. We talk about this all the time. Discipleship begins with salvation. It begins with winning someone to Christ. And in this time, right now, the time that you and I are living, as we're preparing ourselves as the bride of Christ, what He wants for us is to offer the tree of life to the nations so that they might be saved. And God has entrusted to us the responsibility of these rivers of waters that flow as we offer the tree of life to those uh, in the nations of the, of the world as he talked about in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And that leads us to Roman numeral number four. The connection of the New Jerusalem to the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, we've seen this whole connection of the glory and light, the walls and the gates, the river and the tree. And now he's going he's gonna to just show us some things about our connection to the to the Jews and the Gentiles in this, this thing of this, this new Jerusalem. Now, look, look, at, verse, look at verse 24 of, of chapter 21. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Okay, that is the light of the new Jerusalem. And the Lamb is the light... Or, or, well, I'm back up in verse 23... And the kings of the earth, watch this now, do bring their glory and honor into it. Into what? Into the new Jerusalem. Okay, now, now look at verse 24 again. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, this is what I was talking about earlier. If, if we were going to really do this justice, we would have to spend, I, I am, I'm not kidding you, and you'll understand this in just a minute, we would have to park here for six weeks minimum to fully get this. And you know what, I, 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 even after six weeks, I'm not so sure that all of us would get it because, to be quite honest with you, I've been chewing on this ever since we were doing the study of church history, trying to, to really comprehend everything that this thing of eternity is actually going to be. And, and let me just take a few minutes here to open some windows in your thinking that maybe you can join me for the next several years in trying to figure it out, Okay. Now, as you begin to look at, at this, this, this passage, and, and I realize, you know, we, we read that long passage last week, and uh, I don't know if you took the time this week to, to read it. And, and all, I, obviously, in preparation for this, I, you know, I've read it and read it and read it and read it, and, and there, there's something that begins to, to stand out to you as, you as you do this and as you begin to diagram this passage, as you begin to write it out. You know what? There's something about 12. Have you noticed 12 keeps popping up 
in this chapter? In fact, you know what's interesting? There's 12 12s that he talks about here. And that's, that's somewhat significant. I'm not sure you'll have time to get all, all of this, but you might want to try. Watch this. In verse 12, there's 12 gates. Also in verse 12, there's 12 angels at the gates. Also in verse 12, there's 12 names on the gates, and that's the 12 tribes. In verse 14, there's 12 foundations. Also in verse 14, 12 names in the foundations, which are the 12 apostles. In verse 16, there's 12,000 furlongs, which is the equivalent of, of the city. In verse 17, there's 12 times 12, or 144 cubits, which is equal to the wall. In verse 19 and 20, there's 12 precious stones that garnish the wall. In verse 21, there's 12 that are the gates. In verse 2 of chapter 22, there's 12 manner of fruits. Also in verse 2 of chapter 2, back in 21 and verse 24, of nations are granted access. Now, you, you say, well, nations, it you find yourself in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8, sees the nations. Is that of the children of Israel, and how many are those? Twelve nations. Okay, now, now, now hang with me here. Okay, there, there's a lot of heavy stuff here. Now, to understand what's happening, you've got to keep in mind... Okay, listen, if you're going to get this, you're going to have to work, okay? Every word is measured, okay? Now, if you can understand what, what's really shaken out here, you've got to keep in mind that not every person is going to die. You understand that? Most people will, but not every person is going to die. There are going to be some people who will be saved in the tribulation period, and not everyone that comes into the millennium is going to come into the millennium like us. You see, when we come into the millennium, we come into the millennium. Do we come in with flesh and blood? No, we come in with glorified bodies. Paul said in the book of Philippians, like unto his glorified body. We enter into the millennium in glorified bodies, but do understand, not everybody that's in the millennium is the church. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Three groups of people you better keep separated. Who are they? The Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. And he said, you better, better keep those things separate, okay? So, so here it is. We as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been given glorified bodies. We have those through the millennium. And when we move into eternity, we're in those glorified bodies. And I, I hope that everybody in, this, in, the new, in the new Jerusalem, okay, if you missed that one, you, you missed the last three weeks. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all, what, what's, what's this? Shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Okay? Not everybody has a glorified body that enters into eternity. Well, I think that's the millennium. Now, go back to verse 22. It sets the context for you. For as the same as Revelation 21, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass, that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh 
come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And so what you really have is this. Okay, now we're going to pull it all together right now. There's a, there's, a, there's a bunch here. The church is in the New Jerusalem. The Jews are going to be on the New Earth. And the Gentiles are going to be divided off into 12 nations. And those 12 nations are going to be composed of the nations who were saved in the tribulation period. That's Matthew chapter 25. And those that were saved in the millennium. That's chapter 19. But those that are saved are flesh and blood human beings. But these saved nations, what they do, according to Revelation 21, 24 to 26, is they come in to the New Jerusalem, listen now, through 12 gates, one for each nation. And why are they coming in? They're coming in to partake of the tree of life that we were talking about in Revelation 22 and verse 2, so that they might receive their eternal life. You see, that's the healing of the nations that he was talking about. We were doing the, the practical applications of that just a minute ago. But what you've got is flesh and blood human beings in eternity who come into the new Jerusalem through 12 gates to partake of the tree of life so that they might have eternal life. Now, don't confuse that with you. You ain't going into the New Jerusalem. You're already in it. You're not doing anything to try to get eternal life. You ain't eating of no tree. You had eternal life the moment you called upon Jesus Christ who died as a curse upon the tree. And you received, we're something different. But what he's trying to get us to see here is flesh and blood human beings that are coming into the New Jerusalem eat of the tree of life. And do you have any idea of what we're actually back to? We're back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse uh, chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. Now listen. With flesh and blood human beings on the earth with a commission to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have been given a command to partake of the tree of life. And, and, and what is so wild about this thing of being fruitful and multiplying and replenish the earth that was that commission back then? Do you, do you realize that if Adam wouldn't have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but would have eaten of the tree of life and had eternal life and possessed eternal life and bore children who bore, had eternal life, it would have taken about 5,000 years for the entire earth to be populated. And have you ever wondered why it is? On and on and on and on. All giving praise and us tree. And go to Revelation if you're not already there. Revelation. Oh, you're not. You're in Luke 1. Revelation 22 and verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. Everyone's just making the right choice now. We're not dealing with a curse, but you've you got to get that eternal life, those flesh and blood human beings, by eating of a tree. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And that's us, y'all. And they, that's us, shall see His face. His name shall be in, in our foreheads. 
we're going to be his possession in that new Jerusalem. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And check it out. What we saw Satan pull off in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be able to see a reversal in eternity because we're going to be right in the big fat middle of that new Jerusalem watching. And these beings make the right choice for all of eternity. And for all of eternity, it just keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. You know what? We used to think that this thing going to heaven was, well, you know, you get up there and you hang out on a cloud and wear golden slippers and play the harp and oh my man you understand with these finite minds to try to comprehend all of this it's more than we can more than we can fathom i know this it's more than i can can explain i told you more than i know (laughs) yeah really i mean you know what i'm saying your mind almost gets on tilt when you begin to, to see what this thing is, but what it ought to do in all of us that know Him is just spark something on the inside of us that says, I cannot wait for Him to receive that kind of glory, to be able to serve Him in that kind of way. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ, man, listen, your sin most definitely separates you from Him and ain't nothing you can do about it. Because you can't do anything about it, God did. He stepped into human life became one of us, became flesh and blood so that he might pay the price for our sin so that we might be able to experience the eternal life that we've been talking about with him in that new Jerusalem. And the invitation is open to you to be a part of that this morning. And if God is speaking to your heart, our pastors are going to be up at the front of this room as we're dismissed today. And we would invite you to come talk to one of these men about what it could be for you to find entrance into that city today. Let's bow our heads. And those of you that don't know Christ, if right now you would just be counting the cost and just considering the things that you've heard. But those of you that do know Jesus Christ as as your Savior this morning, could I just ask you, listen now, is the glory and light of God shining forth out of you? Are you separated from this world? Are the walls built around you? And if you got the walls, are there any gates for lost people to be able to find access into the kingdom of God through your life? I mean, can they get into there where the river is flowing? Can they get in and find that tree because there are some gates in your walls? Or are you so isolated from the world that they can't even figure it out what it is you're trying to say? Now, this is a real practical section. It's real deep, but it's, it's, it's real practical, y'all. And there's lots of things that... We need to make sure that we're dealing with as God is showing us eternity because what we're doing right now is we're preparing ourselves for eternity as a bride adorned for a husband. And oh God, would you please help us to be everything that you've described for us in your bride the Lamb's wife, the New Jerusalem. Lord, You are just so incredible that we don't even have words to, to explain all that is in our hearts when we begin to see that You could somehow take a city and describe it for us 
and yet take a book as we compare things spiritual with things spiritual and see that it's everything that you've called us to be. And, oh God, please help us not to come through this and not be what you've called us to be. Oh God, burn a passion in us to let the river of the water of life and the Spirit of God in us help us to flow out and manifest that fruit so that we can reach the nations with the tree of life that You died upon. We ask these things for Your glory's sake. Amen. And I do apologize for going going late, but uh, rather than trying to car- stop that and, and try to recreate it next week, oh my goodness, that would be horrendous. I hope you understand that. You folks who are guests, thanks again for, for coming uh, to be with us today and worshiping with us. I, I'd love to meet you personally. The way that we do that is we've reserved a room that's out these doors. And if you'd hang a quick left, second class on the right, just right over in that direction. Um, I, if you just stop by there for just a second, we're not going to ask you to spend the rest of the afternoon, but just long enough for me to be able to shake your hand and meet you. I'd appreciate that, that very much. All right, Joe has a very important announcement about uh, tonight. And uh, let me just ask you to, to look in your bulletin for a, a little bookmark there that's talking about three weeks from today, September 8th. We're going to have a special day of evangelism. I, I want you to, I, you should have received a letter from me uh, probably Friday or Saturday about that. Uh, but uh, this is all going to be in commemoration of the, the September 11th events. And uh, just be praying that God will help you to have somebody with you on September 8th, three weeks from today. Notice that our, our normal weekly schedule of services would include a Sunday evening service, but because of our concert in the park last night, we're not going to be having an evening service tonight. If you weren't able to be there last night, or I guess even if you were and would like to get a video copy of that, you may have noticed that we were working diligently to try to get that videotaped. You can go into our bookstore at the conclusion of the services this morning and order up a copy of that video. Uh, also, next Sunday night, while we're talking about not having Sunday night services, once every uh, five or six weeks, we have a ministry of our church which meets in homes. It's, it's called our Flocks Ministry. As you can see, this is a rather large church. And if you're coming in here looking to get connected to people, you're looking for relationships, this could be somewhat intimidating to you. And we've designed our Flocks Ministry to help people to get into groups of about 10 or 12 or 15 people with the purpose of, of uh, being able to care and share for one another in a loving community. If you've not yet become a part of one of our Flocks in the bulletin this morning, there is a, a sign-up sheet that you can just fill out, or as we're being dismissed this morning, go out to our, uh, our welcome center in the foyer. There'll be people there that could answer any questions that you might have about our flocks ministry. That'll be next Sunday night. And while we're talking about that, those of you that are flocks leaders, there's an important meeting this coming Wednesday at 6:30 in our gymnasium. Make sure that you're there. We'll be giving some information about how we're going to try to implement a, a prayer ministry for our uh, September 8th services, as Pastor Mark just mentioned. And as, as the Apostle Paul was wrapping up the, um, the book of Galatians, which if you know anything about that particular book, he was coming on very strong to defend the fact that our salvation is by grace through faith alone. And he works this thing for six chapters, but as he comes to that sixth and final chapter, talking about the fact that, that salvation is not by any kind of human works, he says this, he says, uh, wherefore, let us be ready to do good works to all men, especially to those that are of the household of faith. And, and we're providing an opportunity for us as a church to do a, a good work, not for our salvation, but because we possess salvation to the people of our community. 
by participating in a blood drive. Uh, that's going to be on September the 7th. You can go out into the inf uh, foyer or their information counters there. They'll be glad to give you uh, information about how you can sign up to give blood uh, in that blood drive. And then last of all, in your bulletin this morning, you also saw that we had some information about our adult Bible classes. Those of you that are part of First Baptist Church, you know the protocol on this. But for those of you that are newer, uh, beginning in the month of September, we're going to be offering seven classes that are designed to meet needs in your life. We'd ask you to pray about those classes. There's a description in the bulletin. And then in the next few weeks, sign up for the class that you would feel like God would be leading you into. Well, let's all stand. <clears throat> you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't sit in on the first service, and uh, so I, here, here's how I wrap the service up. You know, if you have any questions about the message this morning, feel free to come up and ask about it. I ain't saying that now that I know what he talked about, because he's been working that thing for a few years, and I'm not sure I understand it all either. In fact, I know I don't. But I, I do know this. There is a relationship that God wants us to have with him through what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if you are here this morning and have questions about this, as Pastor Mark mentioned, uh, I, along with our other pastors, await here at the front. We have people that are trained that would love to take a Bible and answer any questions that you may have about entering into a personal relationship with God through what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. God bless you. We'll see you back next Sunday. you this morning. He wants to do that. And if God's speaking to your heart, again, we invite you to come and talk to one of our pastors this morning. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. and some don't, and there's a difference between saltwater fish and freshwater fish, you had better learn what you're fishing for. Because I don't care how good a fly fisher you are, if you're out in a little rowboat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with a little casting little fly out there, you're not going to catch a lot. You better learn what type of fish are out there. You better learn what it is to cast that thing out again. Two, three, four, five, six, Seven times, whatever's necessary, and just patiently wait until you snatch them from the fires of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are you touching? Or have you become so isolated as a Christian you don't have any lost friends anymore? Who are you touching? Go spend all your time running around with lost people? No, you misunderstood me. I did not say that. But who are you touching? And how are you touching them? What's your plan of attack? You don't have to get in the water and swim with a fish to catch them. But you better know what you're doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, convict us of our need to be fishers of men. Teach us the secret of seven touches, our need to touch people. Lord, just this simple, simple concept, I would ask that, that you get to our hearts tonight. And I pray if there's a believer here who is so wrapped up in the mechanics of discipleship and the motions of busyness in the church, that they've totally divorced themselves from contact with lost people, that you would convict their heart, and not only that, Lord, but that you would lay on their heart right now the names of people 
Maybe not even the names, but the images of people they come in contact with on a regular basis. They don't even know whether they're lost or saved. Lord, lay those people on our hearts. And use us. Not just to live a good life in front of them, but to open our mouths boldly and share Jesus with them. Oh God, give us patience to touch again and again and again. Change us that others might know Christ and live. Well, are you glad you came tonight? Amen. I'll tell you what. And we're just getting we're just getting out to shoot tonight. And uh, I'm just so excited that uh, the Lord has allowed Jeff to be able to come and to to challenge us. And you know, this is this is right where we are, isn't it? And this is right what we need God to to do with us and and to teach us. And oh, I, you know, sometimes on Sunday nights. I look out at, at this group of people that God has allowed to worship in this place, and I just think if 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 we could just in our minds get to the place to where we understand what our mission really is right here, man, we do such a great job in the Philippines. Man, we, we've we've learned how to adapt there, win people to Christ, get in there, get them discipled, and. And get them in, a, in, in the local church, but but in our very own culture, we're still still struggling. I feel like this is just man dropped right out of heaven for us, Jeff. And I want to I want to encourage you to be here tomorrow night. Now tomorrow night is going to be a little bit different than tonight. It doesn't start at six tomorrow night, seven o'clock tomorrow night, and then again on Tuesday night. We don't have any services on on Wednesday night. The three-on-three three will be going on on Wednesday night like usual, but, uh, but no other service is on, on Wednesday night. But remember, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Try to get here a little bit early. We'll have uh, some other pastors that will be with us. Try to get acquainted with some of those folks. And uh, those of you who have come in from out of town, some of you will be staying with some of our families uh, I believe there's something going to be set up out in the, the foyer. Is that right, Joe? Uh, where they're going to meet their host family. Uh, Tom, where are you? Uh, there you are. Is that what we're doing? Okay, I know that some of you uh, folks that are, are hosting uh, some of these men and, and women uh, you're kind of looking around. You don't even know who you're looking for. And uh, so out, out in the foyer, there's a list out there, and maybe you guys can just try to get connected out there. It'll be a little easier tomorrow uh, for those that will be coming uh, then because name tags will be on uh, on all of those folks. Uh, we're going to have to forego with baptism tonight. We'll go with it next, uh, next Sunday night. And... Uh, you men and women who are here for the conference, we start tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with a continental breakfast. A registration will be out in the, the foyer at 745. We're beginning at 745. We encourage you to come then. Uh, folks will direct you as to where to go for a continental breakfast, and then we'll begin the, the morning sessions as be, uh, Jeff will take us through the book of Ezra. 
beginning at 8.30, but please don't come in here right at 8.30. We'd like to get give him every minute that we possibly can. So get here a little bit early, get acquainted with some of us and uh, some of the other folks that will be coming in. And, man, we're just so thrilled that you would take time away from your folks, from your people, and come and be with us. And we hope that when you leave here on Wednesday or whenever it is that you're leaving, that, man, you're just so grateful to God that he brought you here. And I believe that, uh, that the things that Jeff will share will definitely be an encouragement to you and as we share about the ministry of discipleship. All right, let's, let's stand together. Now, if you're here tonight and you've never had the Lord Jesus Christ touch your life like Jeff was talking about, I'm telling you, man, what an incredible picture of salvation. There's hundreds and hundreds of folks in this room that have had spiritual leprosy. And we've been healed by the touch of an almighty God. And we want you to know tonight that that same almighty God wants to do that in your life. Our pastors are going to remain at the front of the, the worship center at the conclusion of our service. And if you'd like to talk to us about what it means to receive Christ, man, we'll, we'll stay here all night with you to to just explain anything that we can. If you have questions about that, we invite you to, to come. But as we, as we leave here, remember what we talked about this morning? That's where our day needs to begin tomorrow morning. Set that clock with God in mind. That God has given us an invitation. An invitation to walk with Him, be with Him, talk with Him, to be alone with Him, to be intimate with Him. And let's, let's start there. And as we do, let's pray for doors of utterance to be opened to us as we seek to take what we've heard tonight and touch those that are around us. Let, let's, let's come back in here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock having touched somebody. Maybe you, maybe you didn't win them, but God opened a door and you were able to touch them. All right, we'll see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock.